Five, four, space. It used to be the playground of governments, but now rockets and satellites are becoming so small, so cheap, that even a podcast can do it. We have ignition. I'm Robert Smith, and starting November 29th, the Planet Money team launches their very own satellite into the cosmos. Listen on NPR One or that app you're using right now. Copy that Ops One. Pixar has made movies about robots, fish, cars, toys, monsters, and bugs. But rarely has it made movies about regular people. Its new film, Coco, is about a Mexican boy named Miguel who has an adventure on Dia de los Muertos, a holiday dedicated to remembering the dead. Remember me. Though I have to say goodbye, remember me. He finds himself in the land of the dead, where he learns about the importance of memory and how we tell the stories of our families. And like the heroes of a lot of quests, all he really wants is to go home to follow his dreams. The film was directed by Toy Story 3's Lee Unkrich, as well as Adrian Molina, who's been at Pixar for a decade but gets his first directing credit here. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. We're talking about Coco this week with Code Switch's Shireen Marisol Miraji on Pop Culture Happy Hour. Support for NPR and the following message come from Little Passports. Every month, kids can explore a new country when packages arrive in the mail filled with activities, souvenirs, maps, stickers, and more. Or try Science Expeditions, which delivers exciting hands-on experiments and STEM activities every month. Little Passports has subscriptions and gifts for kids of all ages. Find special offers for our listeners at littlepassports.com popculture. Welcome back. We already met NPR Music's Stephen Thompson. Also joining us is Glenn Weldon of the NPR Arts Desk. Hi, Glenn. Hey, Linda. And joining us from NPR West, from our Code Switch team, our pal, Shireen Marisol Maraji. Hi, Shireen. Hola. So good to have you back. <laughs> good to be back. Before we talk about Coco, there's some news we should talk about. John Lasseter, one of the creative giants of Pixar, who has an executive producer credit on this film, is currently on leave after being accused of sexual harassment. As I'm sure you know, a lot of organizations, including NPR, are facing these issues right now. I'm sure that more will follow and we will be keeping an eye on those. For the moment, let's talk about Coco. Stephen, I want to ask you first Mm -hmm. um, what you thought. You have watched many a Pixar movie. I have. I've seen almost all of them. Even for this show, you've watched many a Pixar movie. I've even watched The Good Dinosaur. You have. How did you you feel about Coco? Uh, I really loved it. I think it starts a little slowly. It does a lot of very patient world building. And it took me a little while to get fully swept into the story. But at the same time, that world building is so lovely and so gorgeously artistically rendered Mm -hmm. that it's easy to kind of get swept up not only in the gorgeous imagery in the land of the dead but the gorgeously vibrant day-to-day life that the film starts out in yeah Uh, i've heard this movie described as a love letter to mexico i think that's kind of a a lazy shorthand for this kind of thing like oh it's a it's a love letter to blank sure but it is an incredibly loving portrait of Mexican culture that doesn't seem to be taking a lot of shortcuts. And as such, it takes a while for it to fully sweep you into the story. But by the time it gets to the end, the emotional payoff of this film is this 
enormous wallop. Yeah. It kind of turns the emotional arc of Up upside down. Sure. Or the amount of crying you do in the first 15 minutes of Up <laughs> is the amount of right. crying you do in the last 15 minutes of right. this. exactly. But think about how many movies have these terrible third act problems. To me, this movie didn't have those yeah. because there's so much emotion in it. Yeah. Mm. I want to ask you, Shireen, uh, mm-hmm. how you felt about Coco. Are you, are you a Pixar movie person generally? I loved Up. Okay. But I don't I wouldn't call myself a Pixar movie person. Okay. So how did you like Coco? <laughs> I, I have to say I went in a little bit nervous because I know for me, you know, when you put a movie like this in the hands of a big studio that's mm-hmm. headed up by white guys and it's delving into a whole other culture and world, I worry that stuff is gonna, you know, seem off. And I have to say, there weren't any cringeworthy moments for me. I was so charmed. Everything was done just right. The mix of Spanish and English in the film felt really organic and not clunky or cheesy. It felt real. They used Mexicanisms like no manches and híjole, like very Mexican slang, Mexican and Spanish. And I loved it. I loved the way Mexican art was used and woven into the narrative, you know, papel picados, which are those colorful banners made of tissue paper. You see them in all kinds of Mexican celebrations. Well, they're used to help tell the story in the beginning. And alebrijes, which are these magical, mystical animal creatures that are made out of paper mache. They're folk art. They're carved of wood. They come to life in the land of the dead as these spirit animals. There's all these references to Frida Kahlo. Mm -hmm. Um, She has this hilarious cameo in the land of the dead (laughs) as this director choreographer. And then there's Ernesto de la Cruz, who who, when I saw him, I thought of the Mexican singer Vicente Fernandez, a.k.a. Chente. You know, he's super famous and beloved in Mexico. He stars in all these old-timey films. He wears those mariachi uniforms that are, like, bedazzled with the gold-threaded sombreros. I was just like, man, this is so well done. And I have to say, Stephen, it was so well done that tears were falling down my face from the moment it started. It made me so emotional. You know, like it was like, wow, this is on it. One of the things I really, and this is sort of what Shireen is getting at, is that one of the things I really admired about it is very often when you get a studio that is, as Shireen said, run by a lot of white guys, when they are trying to kind of, we're going to add diversity to our project, right. you will get a Latino kid who is kind of a generally Latino kid. Right. Mm-hmm. And he will be named Miguel and he will speak Spanish and he will call his grandmother abuelita his, yeah his grandmother <laughs> right, abuelita right. but that will be about as far as it goes yeah. and one of the things i really love about this is that it is so specifically about this mexican kid and his mexican family as opposed to seeing kind of all Latino kids as similar to each other from the standpoint of a white american studio do you know what i mean yeah. It sees him and his family through a very specific cultural lens, and it really allows their story to come up through that lens. And I love the fact that Dia de los Muertos in this movie is a holiday, but it's not, like, exoticized. Right. It's treated as any holiday that, that most, you know, most holidays in many cultures are about family and memory and tradition and all that stuff. And it doesn't feel like any part of this is sort of pointing out this holiday as, you know, odd or it's treating it as a holiday and why it's important to this kid and this family. The movie goes quite deep into why this 
particular celebration means so much to people. What did you think about it, Glenn? I liked it fine. Um, uh, you know, I am a mildly colorblind individual, and uh, for two hours I didn't feel it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it got through to me because it just is so, it's just a feat of visual design. It's fantastic and, and striking. And, uh, you know, the performances from actors I am aware of and, and those I am not all really sold it. And from speaking from this outsider perspective, I mean, you can tell when a movie's cultural outreach, its cultural themes are disingenuous. You can tell. Mm-hmm. And it didn't feel that here. It felt like this was conceived from the ground up to be what it is. And that's, that's good. I do put this as lesser Pixar for me because uh, all to do with the script and the story, this plot is so dense in a way that reads to me like written by committee, like mm. people being afraid that the audience isn't going to get it. You know, something like this happened in Wreck-It Ralph, which is a Disney movie. Mm -hmm. Disney is much more prone to this kind of narrative piling on than Pixar historically has been. Pixar tells a simple story simply told. And Mm -hmm. and Disney tends to, like, there's the thing about the Day of the Dead, all the machinations and how that works. Then we get what Miguel needs and then his plans to get it, which have to change at the midway point. And then there's a talent contest. And then there's a time limit. It's a lot. It's just a lot. Yeah, I did think... You know, very late in the film, there's kind of a final turn when it feels like you're at a conclusion. And then you remember that there's one more thing that they kind of have to do. And when that piece started, I felt like... I'm ready for it to conclude exactly. a, a little a little more tightly. I agree with that. We've talked about the last 15 minutes. The last 15 minutes are when all that plot, that infrastructure falls away completely, I think collapses completely, so that this film can reach out of the screen, <laughs> grab your tear ducts, mm-hmm. and milk them for all they are worth. <laughs> yeah. And I felt that reaching. I mean, I, I that to me felt like this film, those last 15 minutes just amp up and amp up and pile on until it becomes almost funny how... Achingly, how desperate the, they, they're trying to milk a very specific, an emotional reaction that you can kind of feel working on. You, you can feel yeah, them yeah. doing it. But, it. but I, but it works. I mean, it worked for me. Yeah, it didn't for me. But I mean, like, that's, that's, that's. <laughs> you are made of stone. <laughs> it, actually, it actually didn't work for me in the end. It worked for me throughout, uh-huh. if that makes any sense. I mean, I just felt like it was so, I could relate so much to the story, even though I'm not Mexican. I grew up in a Puerto Rican household. But I had a great-grandmother, Chucha, and in, in this, it's Coco, the great-grandmother, who was in a wheelchair. She had white hair. She barely, you know, could speak. And when she did, she only had memories of the past. I mean, I was just like, wow, this movie got me, you know? Mm. And it got me throughout. And I just, that just tugged at my heartstrings. And you know, tugged at my tear ducts or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Throughout, you know, not, I, and, and I've actually, I have to agree with Glenn. It felt a little bit piled on at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you guys think, did you guys think it was that funny? I mean, I would re- much rather, uh, this is going to sound glib, but I mean, like, more jokes would not have hurt this thing. I didn't think the dog worked. I didn't think the dog was that funny. I mean, in fairness to this movie, you often say that, by I which I only mean to <laughs> say, do. by which I only mean to say there's a sliding scale sure. of how much jokes matter to people in a movie like this. Uh-huh. You are a person to whom they're very, very important uh-huh. and you want lots of them. Uh-huh. I felt like it was an okay number. I will say I think the movie was more clever than funny. Hmm. 
I liked the fact that the dog is a much lighter touch mm-hmm. than a lot of the kind of animal sidekicks that have very specific. Oh, by of... lighter touch, you mean it's it's less pounding you with jokes. Absolutely. It's, it's less pounding you with silliness or adorableness. Right. The dog feels specific to me. Yeah. It, 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 the dog doesn't feel like a comic actor made into a dog mm-hmm. as often sidekicks <laughs> oh, do in true. movies like this. Well it really feels like the dog is a dog. Glenn. I saw this movie in uh, South L.A. at the Baldwin Hills Crenshaw Mall. 99% of the theater was made up of Latino families. Mm -hmm. And I got to say, people were laughing. People laughed at the grandma, whether she was, you know, feeding Miguel Mortamales when he wasn't hungry or throwing her chancla at people. People loved this in the theater. They were laughing, and and they were laughing a lot. So maybe this movie just wasn't made for your particular sensibilities. Absolutely. I welcome it. I love the feeling of being in a theater and and having people laugh at a joke that's not directed at me. That's great. That didn't happen a lot uh, in in my theater, but I'm sure it could. I'm sure it will. And I suspect that uh, it's absolutely true that the jokes are funnier the more you're steeped in the references that Mm -hmm. they're making. I agree with Glenn that it has fewer jokes than a lot of these movies. It has fewer jokes than a Toy Story movie. It has fewer jokes, I would say, than a Cars movie. Mm-hmm. But I was okay with that because I think I think Shireen is right that even if I did not cry at the end, what? everybody everybody else what? in the theater with me, I will tell you, I was listening to a lot of a sobbing. But um, I didn't cry at the end, but I was very moved by it throughout, and I. I was struck at the beginning. I was trying to figure out why I instantly took to this kid. I still am not really sure, but I instantly just wanted to hang out with him. And I liked the rendering of him as kind of a regular kid in jeans and a white shirt, just kind of kicking around town. I very much liked that. I like some of the performances a lot. It was really funny to me that Jaime Camille, who plays Rogelio on uh, (laughs) Jane the Virgin, Uh is the very kind of normal father of the kid rather than Playing, playing Ernesto de la Cruz. Ernesto de la Cruz, which would have been so him. Yeah. You know what I mean? I really, really enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. I, I mean, if I have a, a slight nitpick about the movie, it's, it's very different from Glenn's. I felt like in the first couple acts of this movie, it seems to be building up this kind of false choice between family and music and mm-hmm. which will he choose. And that I found so much less engaging right. than this kind of bigger, warmer yeah. uh, thing that, that anyone can hook into if they've ever lost lost someone they care about. Yeah. As it becomes more and more universal and less about this kind of obviously false choice. I yeah. agree with you. That's a great point. The, the, I think the that's more right. interesting it is. I actually think what's interesting about that family first thing is And what I took away from it is that families aren't perfect. Mm -hmm. They keep secrets so they don't have to relive trauma. Mm -hmm. But that trauma eventually gets passed down in other ways. And in the case of the Rivera family, the fact that they're not allowed to or listen to or play music because their great-great-grandfather was a musician who was thought to have abandoned his family um, to follow his musical dreams, that trauma gets passed down from generation to generation because of silence. Yeah. I don't know if anyone else got that from it, but... No. I think that's right. And I think it's to the movie's credit that it eventually kind of gets past that idea that what he's choosing between is is family and music. What were you going to say? Well, just exactly that. I mean, that is an example of this film loading itself up with more stuff that it doesn't need just to have an obstacle to overcome. 
when there's already plenty of stuff. It's just a simple quest narrative. It doesn't need all this stuff. But yeah, but, uh, I like you know. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. I gotta say, I mean, there were so many things like the when Hector was trying to cross from the land of the dead mm-hmm. to the land of the living, and he doesn't have the right quote unquote documentation or whatever. Right in his case, there's not a picture of him on on an ofrenda, um, so he can't visit his relatives in the land of the living on Dia de los Muertos, and so he tries to like run across the quote unquote mm-hmm. border. And he's crawling through the marigold petals, mm-hmm. and the you know the border patrol agents is what I saw them yeah, as. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Grab him. I was just like, I could not watch that scene and divorce it from what's happening in the real world. And you know, in my mind, those marigolds had turned into sand, and that bridge was the Sonoran Desert. And you know, I was th- having all of these feelings and emotions in that scene, and I liked that. I liked the layered aspect to it. Yeah. And maybe I had that when I was watching it, and someone else didn't. It was mm-hmm. it meant nothing to them. But I like that I could have that. Yeah. I will say when when I talk about the movie being more clever than funny, one of the other things I really like is how they animate the skeletons, how yeah. they animate the people in the in the land of the dead. It reminds me actually a little bit of some of the ways that they played around with the body of the snowman in Frozen, how he would like go to pieces and they would throw pieces of him all over the place. But I think this is better than that. It's a cl- There's mm-hmm. a cleverness to mm-hmm. the way that bones come back together and fall apart. And, and I found it very moving in that regard. Now, since... You, you mentioned snowman. I mentioned mm-hmm. the snowman. <laughs> we must discuss the fact that fully the first 21 minutes... After you get through the commercials and the mm-hmm. trailers and the like one minute long thing Featured. where the Pixar guys tell you how much they loved making Coco, yeah. <laughs> you get a 21 minute frozen short uh, Ola, medium. Ola. I'm going to call it a medium, not a short. <laughs> yeah. 21 minutes called what? Olaf's, Olaf's frozen adventure. Frozen adventure. So you have the frozen people back and the idea is that Olaf, the snowman, is trying to uh, help Elsa and Anna, who don't have Christmas traditions because of the way they grew up. It is so much too much emotional arc for a short. I mean, Stephen compared it to like, tell, tell them what okay. you compared it so to. So here is, here is exactly what it's like. Uh, if you've ever gone to like Target on Black Friday and they're selling- and you have. And I have. And there's like a special Target exclusive bonus special called like kung fu pandas holiday yep spectacular exactly. and 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 you're like i like kung fu panda mm-hmm. this looks like bonus content and you watch it and it's this kind of stultifying c grade it's got all the characters if you're getting the impression that this has happened to steven <laughs> yeah. and you know how much he loves kung fu panda well wow. okay so it's possible that i may have bought the kung fu panda holiday special but it felt so much like this kind of bonus hashtag content yeah instead of an actual story or oh, like a short boy. that has that has like a, the framework of just like dispensing jokes there are points in it where you think it's going to wind to an end and another song starts mm. there are points to it where you think it's going to end and then it's like Olaf practically like looks at his watch and goes like <laughs> uh, anybody got any other traditions and like totally. and it just keeps droning yeah. on yeah you said Kung Fu Panda bonus content I said uh, direct to video Barbie fairy tale princess <laughs> 
I, when you go over to somebody's house and their daughters are watching this just pablum, this, this just dreck of, of just people going through the motions in this horribly animated stuff. Now, this was animated very well, but these songs are not they are memorable. They are so forgettable. Oh there is so not is a... Frozen better than this? Because I've never yes. seen oh, yes. Frozen, and Frozen I saw is... this, and I hated this. I like Frozen very, very much. And one of the interesting things about it is that the music that was originally in Frozen, they did not write the songs that you hear in the short. Right. But the people who wrote the music in Frozen, uh, Kristen and and Bobby Lopez, did write one of the songs in Coco. The, the signature the, song. Right, kind of the central song, Remember Me, in Coco. It was it was charming to me. I can imagine people, you know, wanting to hear it again and thinking that it's adorable. Now, you see the through line here, right? Because Olaf's Frozen Adventure is about family traditions and Coco is about the tradition of the Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. It's just you get this cultural whiplash to go from yeah. the whitest thing yes. I may have oh, ever completely. seen. It is the whitest thing. Yeah. Like, what is whiter than a Frozen short? And... <laughs> well, like, I, I gather this was actually made to be a TV show. Ah, that it's. That a, I read, at least, that this was not made to be a short Well, 21 minutes movie. would be right. an appropriate length if that was what they originally planned. And I I get it, but like, who boy? Yeah, um, so service journalism, go 40 minutes after the actual <laughs> yeah. time. Well, and yeah. Well, it does yeah. a disservice to Coco. Mm-hmm. Anecdotally, I have heard some parents on Twitter saying, like, my kid was turning to me like, how long is this? <laughs> what time is it? Like, <laughs> that it wasn't even flying with little kids. Well, I think it's worth noting that in Mexico, where Coco is a massive phenomenon, which yeah. tells you something right there. Highest grossing film of all time in Mexico. Al- yep. Already. Which is awesome. Which makes me so happy. <laughs> which makes me so happy. Because it, it's, it's such a good it's, movie. It's a good movie. And, and, that, and like I said, that tells you something. In Mexico, a lot of theaters have, by audience request, stopped showing Olaf's Frozen Adventure because ah. the audience is like, yeah. yeah. Right. I am so happy that we uh, all enjoyed Coco. Come and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH and tell us what you think. Tweet us at PCHH. Uh, and that brings us to the end of our show. You can follow Shireen on Twitter at Radio Mirage. On Friday, we will be talking about the film Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri with our pal Gene Demby promises to be a barn burner that episode (laughs) there are some opinions (laughs) and we will also tell you what's making us happy this week thank you for listening and if you have a second and you're so inclined please give us a review on apple Podcasts. it helps more folks to find the show thank you so much shireen oh thank you this was really fun and we will (laughs) (laughs) and we will see all of you back here on friday remember me (laughs) 